Hi, I'm Sarah Shea. And I'm Strangely Duesberg. Welcome to the Pilot House. A podcast where we watch all the shows we missed the first time around. Try to figure out where the heck they were going with this. This episode is going to be one of our new formats, the all or none style, meaning that one of us has seen all of the show and one of us has seen none of it. And the show in question is Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Strangely, would you care to tell me what you think you know about Miss Fisher? Here's what I think I know about Miss Fisher's Mysteries. It's about... Uh, Hold on. Sorry. Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Please continue. You're already wrong. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Please continue. Here's what I think I know about Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Not even the title, apparently. <laughs> uh, I know that it's about someone named Miss Fisher. I know that it contains murders, which are mysterious in that apparently their culprits are not readily known. I believe this is an Australian production, and I think it's set in the sweet outfit old-timey days, and that's about all I know. Mm. W- would you care to make... A more specific prediction about which... Sweet outfit, old-timey days? Yeah. Just slightly more specific. I want to say that this takes place in the 1920s. Okay. Just because for some vague reason, I think that they have motor cars. I don't know why I think that, but I do. Uh, Other than those things, I know that this is one of Sarah Shea's favorite television programs. And that might be true. That Sarah has recommended this to me so many times. Like, strangely, you got to watch this. This is great. But now I'm glad that you didn't because now we get to do this. That's right. <laughs> and I get to grill you about your initial impressions. It's going to be so much fun. Which I'm excited. Although yeah. slightly worried because... I know, I know a friendship is riding on my reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't like the show, uh, you're fired. Right? <laughs> yeah, in any case, to uh, cover my end of things, I have seen every episode of Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries multiple times, especially the first season. I have watched the pilot probably half a dozen times. So uh, I know this one inside and out. It'll be very interesting to hear your first impressions. Well, all right. So let's get to it. Miss Fer- <laughs> Miss Fisher's murder mysteries from That's the one. M- Australia. Perfect. This Australian show that I have I have just watched. I would love to hear what you have to say strangely. I am so excited for this. Here's my one sentence synopsis. Yes, please. The fabulously fashionable Friny Fisher returns home to Melbourne, Australia, after quite a good deal of time away to attend to some personal business and very quickly gets caught up in a murder mystery involving a wealthy import-export businessman of possibly less than upstanding quality. (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a very accurate description. She is fabulous. She's so fabulous. And it's extremely fabulous. Essie Davis is, mm, she's good. So having uh, having done that lovely one-sentence synopsis, uh, we usually move on to talk about what we got wrong 
during the What We Know segment. And obviously, I didn't get anything wrong. But also, conveniently, neither did you. Uh, you didn't know that much, but what you did know was amazingly spot on. When you said the phrase sweet old, uh, outfit, old timey days, I got really excited because I thought you were going to be like, oh, yeah, isn't it set around like the turn of the century? And that would be a thing for you to be wrong about. But instead, I pressed you to pick a decade and you so picked the right one. <laughs> I don't know what made me pick the 1920s, although in retrospect, I think I had seen the Netflix thumbnail for this and she has... The most flapper haircut of all flapper haircuts. Like, yeah, she she looks like she's about to go. Yeah. So we were down at the Hotel Cicero having a few laughs. <laughs> she just has that like absolutely <laughs> Chicago flapper hairdo, and it's it's great. To be fair, the the oh, the first season is set in 1929, so it's t- towards the end, right, of the 20s, but. I mean, in Australia, it was probably, you know, they were a little behind. Yeah, it it takes a while to get there, you know, especially in the 20s. America makes all the culture and then uh, it takes everyone else a little while to catch up. What's that exchange rate, you know? I will say, though, that I sort of feel like my what I know was a bit of a cheat on this episode just because this is a show that you have talked about with me at various times throughout our years and years of friendship. So it's it's something that I have vaguely been aware of in terms of kind of the overall feeling of it and the vibe of it, etc. Well, yeah, but that happens to us sometimes with the shows that we haven't seen. Sometimes we've heard so much about it that we don't, we're not wrong about anything. And sometimes we're so wrong that we watch the wrong show, you know? Right. So it's always a crapshoot. I was just, where... where? I'm still so bummed. Check out season one, true believers. Kind of a a little thought I want to have on the table as we get into the recap and talking about this. I think this is the closest I have seen to what I would want a female James Bond to be. Like, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. In terms of just this, this pilot, like... You know, she gets to she gets to sleep with a hottie and like it's sort of tangentially involved with what she's trying to solve. But she's also got her own thing going on. And yeah, she has her own demons and everything. just like it feels very like and fabulous clothes and the world she moves through at least one tuxedo. Not on her, unfortunately. Oh, God. The world she moves through like almost doesn't make sense. And yet if you kind of think of it as like this like pulp noir thing it's amazing there's definitely some sort of heightened reality stuff going on here this is not attempting to be an extremely accurate depiction of 1929 melbourne yeah you know there's they're having fun with it it's i i there's no there's no word for this that i know of but like there are two kinds of period uh shows films movies things one is where everything is just like aggressively accurate where they rebuild everything like uh you know a, a game of thrones or a um uh game of thrones is not a period piece <laughs> it's fantasy ga- well i mean just in the sense that game of thrones is a constructed world and they build everything from scratch whereas there are other uh you know fantasy or historical things like rain where they just go film in some historic location and we're just supposed to go with the fact that the castle is a ruin. Sure, sure. Etc. And I, I like that this this show is very much in the sort of the latter category where they're filming in preserved old buildings and, and sort of antique hotels and things. And it's it's that really delightful kind of production design where 
It's like, oh, yes, this street still looks old, so we'll film here. I love that. They're going for that. They are going for the the past, but better. The past, but more fun and brighter and more colorful. I don't want to compare it to Rain, because Rain was clearly just like, uh, the past, but the past was too boring. Let's add more sex. Also, we have no money, so people are just going to wear whatever. Right. This is way more intentional than the rain. Uh, absolutely. I just, I, I, it was just that that kind of, that sort of like filming in a, a locate filming in a pre-existing location yeah. that you're dressing up to the purposes like they did in rain, as opposed to a purpose-built location like they used in Ripper Street. Yeah. Which was, uh, you know, it was very, very constructed to look exactly like this old-timey era. Yeah, totally. I actually, when you said there are two kinds of period pieces, I thought, I pictured two different examples of the ways they can be different. Then, So that's why I was confused when you first started talking about it, because I was like, why are you bringing up Game of Thrones? Because to me, there's two kinds of period pieces. One where they're obsessed with making it, it's got to be accurate, man, it's got to be dark, Everything has to be sad and depressing because, like, it was the past and things were bad. And then there's one where they're like, okay, but this is fiction and we're having fun with it. So, like, why not imagine a better version of the past? There's more of that kind of stuff later in the show. It's not present in in the first one. But that kind of idea of it's very easy to do a bunch of depressing, violent horrible stuff and be like well that's just how it was man which they do people do with game of thrones all the time and it's like okay point of order fantasy not it's not real also you're picking and choosing which parts you want to be dark so often people use that as an excuse to be violent towards women or whatever and like regressive basically and miss fisher is like but what if we were progressive because we feel like it instead of regressive so to touch on that kind of storytelling this is very similar to like almost like a steampunk i guess this would be gas punk or diesel punk thing where it's like you have a character who is essentially a a modern day person in the way that they view the world and move through the world and think about the world around them yeah and yet they exist in this period setting yeah sort of like a a jackie faber or a uh having trouble thinking of other examples at the moment but others will come to me i'm sure it would be helpful if you could, because I don't know who Jackie Faber is. <laughs> Jackie Faber is the hero, the heroine from the Bloody Jack books ah, by L.A. Meyer. I have not read those. Uh, let us move on to a little bit of a recap. Why don't you lead us through a description of the plot, strangely? All right. I'm, I, will, I will do the best that I can to get these things in order, but I'm sure Sarah will help me out. I got you. So we open on a large sort of wealthy, well-appointed British Empire colonial-style home. A stately home. Exactly. And there is a... A a maid is leaving. She's she's quitting. And she's leaving in the morning. Like, she's leaving. She's just bouncing out. She's got her bag, and she's, like, crying, and she's unhappy. And the other maid kind of follows her out, tries to give her something, and the maid who's leaving is like, you don't understand, and leaves. And then the other maid goes back inside. And meanwhile, we see that the presumably the man of the house, the the um, yeah, the the home's owner, head of the household, whatever, uh, dies of possibly poisoning in the 
water closet as he prepares to go about his morning ablutions. Excuse me, I believe the appropriate term is loo. The WC. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, that's sort of our, our cold open. Yeah. That, that this is, we immediately see uh, the murder, or at least the death. Uh, it's unclear what has happened to him, but it's it's pretty clear, like, it, it's poison. Yeah. Can I ask you a can I ask you a question before we move on? Go ahead. Did you not, could you not tell what it was that the the, the maid gives to the other girl? You mentioned, get, tries to give her something. I was just wondering, did you, are you, were you glossing over that to make the synopsis faster or did you not actually catch what, what she was giving her? Because I didn't catch it the first time I watched it. Looked like she was giving her some sort of like, like 1920s style, like, uh like sanitary napkins or something like that. Like it was like. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Why would you think that? I don't know. Like I saw like, it was like oh little God. bits of cotton with string. <laughs> I, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Because the first time I watched it, I was like, what did she give her? But I didn't catch it. It wasn't until I went and rewatched it that I was like, oh, okay. And you don't really need to see it. It's not bad filmmaking that you couldn't see right. it because you get what's going on later. But she tries to give her baby booties that she has knit or crocheted. <laughs> That's why Alice says, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> God, that was the saddest trombone I've ever heard in my life. Oh God, I'm wow! I oh, that was amazing. You guys, we're doing this one over Skype, and strangely, just like reached off camera and brought a trombone forward and played the saddest wah 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 of all time. Yeah, that is amazing. I just kind of went. I don't. I couldn't see what it was and. Unfortunately, it, they're knit of a pale yellow yarn, and it's on white paper. They could have made it more explicit if they wanted to, but yeah. Anyway, she tries to give her baby booties. Does that make more sense? That yeah, that makes way more sense. I I guess like the sanitary napkin idea thing was just like uh, it was like a bit of like backfill that I came up with later because there's all these things in the mm-hmm. episode about like like women's health and like secretive things around that like around things like family planning and stuff. And I, for some reason thought it had something to do with that. And I was, <laughs> it was for that, but for the other end of that, I guess. Yeah. So anyway, moving on. <laughs> this, uh, that scene is followed by, we, we get, we get introduced to Phryne. She's getting off the, uh, she's getting off the, steamship the uh the the liner yeah whatever they're called a big a big boat yeah and she has her uh her giant steamer trunk with her and she is met at the dock by her friend doc dr friend friend dr friend dr friend that's her name yes excellent so dr 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 mcmillan who is dr who's known on the show as mac so dr 
so Mac uh, meets her at the the dock, and it and you know is like, oh, you're you're back. You've been away for a while. We get sort of just kind of like a lot of expo log about her being away, but immediately right out of the gate, these characters have great chemistry with each other. Yeah. Like this, these are old friends. Speaking of old friends, I don't know how old these two actresses are, but just like the vibe that I got from both of them is that they're like maybe in their mid thirties, which like for an, for an Australian show, like it just seems like the the characters are are a little bit older than you would have them be if you were making the show in the U.S. These, how old are they supposed to be, Sarah? I don't know how old the actresses are. Uh, I would guess they're in their late thirties. Um, yeah, possibly Mac. I can't remember the actress's name who plays Mac. She might be even a little bit older than that. Um, but how old they're actually supposed to be is not really nailed down in the show. They kind of dance around it. Yeah, there is a point at which Phryne gives a year in the past and then says how old she was at the time, which suggests that during the show she's 29 years old which she is definitely older than that which i was yeah what's funny is i never noticed that it just i i'm not great with numbers it's an adhd thing yeah and so when i hear numbers i just take what people mean from how they're saying it rather than doing the math so i never even noticed that she was supposed to be 29 yeah but then my sister who's uh read all the books first or not all the books but read most of the books before watching the show uh was like mm-hmm. That's insane. She's not 29 years old. And I was like, oh, no, you're right. She does not look 29, even a little. Uh, But I love that. I love that she's older and she's still like, hey, I'm having a good time. I'm running around and having affairs and being sexy and who cares? Which is why I bring this up. And and one of the things that made me make the James Bond comparison is like generally James Bond is like supposed to be someone who's a bit more mature and like a bit more seasoned with you know like a past Mm -hmm. has done some some shit prior and like if this show had been made in the united states like if this had been an american production she would have been you know a 22 year old actress playing a 26 year old character talking about how worldly she was but it it just would have been harder to buy whereas this like she looks of an age that could have had these adventures and she's She's still foxing it up and she's still having badass adventures. But like, I love that she, the care, I guess because they chose to cast an actress who is a little bit older than like a typical female lead on a show like this, the character immediately feels more lived in. Yeah. And just feels more credible when she has skills and knowledge and things like that. Yeah. Like it's delightful. That's one of the great things about the character and the, and the way that it's set up on the show is that she's not this show is not about somebody coming of age or like having their initial grown-up adventures of finding themselves she found herself she knows who she is she's she's got a life and she knows how to live it and we're just getting to come along for that ride that's one of the things i love about the character i didn't know that these were based on books but it it makes sense that they had a very strong idea of the character right away out the gate because this is an adaptation not a direct you know creation but still like the casting of this actress and the actress who plays mac and the actress who plays the widow of the deceased uh miranda otto is just i love miranda otto she casting her in that role especially with 
again, this is one of those things where sometimes the the history and the baggage that an actor brings to a role can actually inform how the character plays for an audience because it's like what you think of when you think of that actor actress uh from prior roles can influence your reception of them in a given thing which the miranda auto casting totally did for me in this yeah if if any listeners are not familiar with miranda auto she played eowyn in lord of the rings i am no man so great yeah the best she's Amazing. And I love that they got her for this first episode because she's wonderful. She's perfect in the role, too. Anyway, let's get back uh, onto that recap train a little bit now that we've wallowed a little in how great the show is. So, oh, there's going to be a lot more wallowing, Sarah. I'm terribly sorry. For sure. Oh, please do not apologize. Phryne is back in Melbourne, and it's sort of hinted that she has some some personal reasons for being there, but we don't get an idea of what those are yet. Very quickly gets an invitation to a luncheon, dinner, to something. Yeah, luncheon. At the home of an old friend some in society. Uh, yeah, we don't. they don't go into great detail, but it's implied they've known each other a long time and haven't seen each other in years. So she says goodbye to Dr. Friend and goes off to this place. <laughs> Dr. Mac, where, uh, which turns out to be the house where the man has just died. So Franny mm. arrives, there's cops there, they're like carrying out the body, and Franny immediately is like, ooh, mystery, and like is on the case immediately. I was just, I was so delighted that she just jumps into action and immediately starts looking for clues around the house. Mm-hmm. I'm a little fuzzy on the order of events at the house. I say we meet here uh, Lydia, the the widow of the deceased man, played by Miranda Otto. Mm-hmm. We also meet Aunt Prudence. Yes. Who is an extremely important character. And... Who, I can't remember the actress's name, but it's the actress who plays Professor Sprout in the Harry Potter films. Among a million other roles. It's Miriam... I don't actually know if her last name is pronounced Margulies or Margolis, but it's that last name. Right. Different people pronounce it differently. Uh, she is the best. I love her. She's amazing. She's one of those actresses, like, it's like every British, like, character movie thing ever made. Oh, yeah. she's She played the nurse in the Boz Lerman Romeo and Juliet, <gasps> which is like... Oh, I forgot about that. Of course she did. I haven't seen that in years, but yes. Arguably is one of the most perfect castings in, like, filmed Shakespeare. Oh. She's just... She's also in Cold Comfort Farm, which is one of my favorite movies of all time that many people have not seen. Um, And if you've only seen her in Miss Fisher, watch Cold Comfort Farm, because she's playing the opposite end of the class spectrum in that one, and it's delightful, because she is the best. She's my gay Jewish uh, Shakespeare comedy aunt. (laughs) And I love her. When when I read, uh, when I read Neil Gaiman's Ocean at the End of the Lane, and there are the the sort of the like fantasy whimsy what's it characters, the the like old uh, goddesses or whatever in the mm-hmm. farmhouse at the end of the lane. I imagine her as one of them. Oh yeah, she would be perfect. In this, she's playing kind of a like a little bit sort of high society matron sort of like mm-hmm. she and Franny get a couple of like really like good low-key like high society lady burns in on each other 
that were just like I know it's so good. Oh, it was so good. Cause she's she's a little tedious, but she's got she's got some burns in there. The first thing she says when she sees Franny is like. Oh, Franny, dear, it's so wonderful to see you. Why, I, I'd hardly recognized the little girl in you. Aside from the length of your skirts. <coughs> oh! Burn! And then, what does Franny say? She's like, I see you haven't changed a bit, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. So, Franny is looking around the house, kind of looking for clues, and finds out that the guy died in the... Uh, the lavatory upstairs. Mm-hmm. So she, there's this really great bit with the young, young police inspector. We get two police characters in this. There's the sort of young inspector who seems kind of new to the game. And then there is, he's a constable, young constable. And then his boss, uh, detective inspector, Jack Robinson. Yes. Oh, Oh, <laughs> uh, Mm-hmm. But it's only the young constable there, and there's this wonderful bit where Franny's like, "Oh, but I, I have to answer an urgent call of nature," and kind of like, you know, gets around him in a way that doesn't involve feminine wiles, which immediately endeared the character to me. That like she's using all different things in the toolkit. Like she definitely gets some feminine wiles at at times in the show, but like she's yeah. very broadly skilled. In a, in like she has a lot of specialties. She's, which again, kind of makes me go back to sort of some of those like almost like spy pulp comparisons. Yeah, but it's something you very rarely see a female character doing. I love it. In the bathroom, she finds a little pink package of some sort of powder that she takes. Uh, you know, like a, it's a clue, a clue, and there's these all these little pack pink packages of. A pink powder. Yeah. The one other sort of mystery critical or story critical detail is she witnesses one of the maids or the maid in the house having like a weird interaction with the phone. Like she doesn't touch it. She's like about to touch it. She puts on a glove. She's about to pick and then it stops ringing and she's like, oh, it stopped ringing. I didn't have to answer it. Too bad. (laughs) Yep. And the maid is named. Dot. Oh, Dorothy. Dorothy. Yes. Dot. Yeah. So uh, that's just a little detail that will kind of be important later. Uh, So then the detective inspector, Jack Robinson, shows up and, you know, sort of has this little interaction with Phryne where Phryne's like, did you know this and this about the, you know, Phryne notices things about the murder and sort of pulls a, you know, a, a very like classic. Sherlock Holmes. Like, oh, do you think it was? Do you think it was poison? Yeah. I mean, obviously there's no blood, so it couldn't be uh, a violent death. It could have been strangulation. She's just yeah. musing, and he's like, "What? Why are you in my crime scene?" It's it's <laughs> the very classic, like you know, Sherlock shows up at the crime scene and makes everybody look a little bit slow. But unlike said scene in any Sherlock Holmes adaptation, she is just sort of restating the facts of the case that she has managed to see probably quicker than they did. She's sort of taken it all in and she's yeah, sort of, she's expressing interest in the case and knowledge of the basic facts from a relatively short amount of time there to the extent that the young constable is even taking notes of what she says. Like he gets out his little notebook and is like, Oh, Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. So good. 
So then she asks for Jack Robinson's card and has a nice little flirtatious moment and then leaves. And again, like this is so much better than these scenes often are in a Sherlock Holmes adaptation because yeah. she just is a an intelligent human, not some sort of superhuman whimsical fuckery magic being. Yeah. Blinks at the scene once and knows that the killer had a like one testicle or whatever, like based on very, very like minuscule information. She notices things and she wants to make sure that the cops have seen it too, because she just like, Oh, Hey, I noticed a thing. And they're like, yes, thank you. <laughs> We're so good. we then see man helping a, uh, an, a, a woman who is woozy, possibly like drugged or something. And he's, he's sort of like, she's like leaning on him and they go out into the street and he hails a cab. And puts her in the cab and then just like pays them to take her somewhere and walks away. The cabbies see that like she's bleeding and she's like having a something's medically wrong with her. So they take her to a women's hospital somewhere in the city. Right before they leave, they see the man who put her into the cab and talking to someone. Like they kind they kind of see someone and they're like, hmm, that fella, which will be important later. Yeah. So the hospital that the girl gets taken to is the hospital where Mac is a doctor. Yeah. Mac gets called back to the hospital from Franny's hotel room where they are chit-chatting. So, yeah. And then Franny meets Mac uh, at the hospital and Mac sort of gives her the rundown on the girl's condition that she was pregnant and got it taken care of by like kind of like a back alley abortionist kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was not a well done job. And the girl is sort of, it's going to be touch and go. It's not clear if she's going to pull through. Are we meant to know that she's the same girl who quit the job at the beginning? Because I didn't quite put that together until a little bit later in the episode. Presumably some people would recognize the actress right away and go, oh, that's the girl from earlier. But yeah, not everyone will recognize a face immediately that they only saw for like a moment earlier. So they make it more explicit later. But yeah, it is the same maid who was let go from uh, Miranda Otto's house earlier before uh, the man of the house, John Andrews, is killed. So she is established as yeah that was you know it becomes i don't remember exactly when they make it explicitly obvious but yeah she was raped by her employer and tried to get an abortion and um, almost died as a result of a bad a poorly poorly done one yeah i love all the euphemisms in this like max says some amateurs tried to take away her troubles <laughs> said employer who raped her and impregnated her was the guy who died at the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes. Phryne looks through the girl's things and finds a letter of recommendation written for the girl from... It was written by the wife, but it was on his stationery. Yeah. So that's when she makes the connection. Yeah. Because this actually happens a bit later, but yeah, it, the, the all of her stuff is a bit rumpled and bloodstained and everything because of all she's been through. So I don't think she recognizes right away, oh, that's my friend... Lydia's handwriting. She just sees the, the 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 letterhead and goes, "Ooh, John Andrews." Meanwhile, uh, it it transpires that uh, Lydia, yes, she was supposed to be throwing this charity gala, charity ball, kind of a soiree shindig, mm -hmm. hoot nanny jamboree at the <laughs> big manor house uh, 
to raise funds for some sort of charitable cause. Yeah. And uh, Aunt Prudence kind of, it seems like it might be like a little bit of a power move, but she essentially goes like, oh, well, don't worry. Phryne and I will take care of everything and we'll still throw it. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like, it's like this is happening in two days. It's not enough time to cancel. Yeah. Z-z-z-z-z. So the event happens and Phryne shows up at it wearing like the most flapper of all outfits. And it's just, it's incredible. Like everybody else is. She's got a little like circlet, yeah. a little like jeweled kind of tiara thing. So good. And at the uh, the event is a professional dancer, tango, ballet kind of guy named, he's like Russian and French. <laughs> Just ridiculous. Sasha Delis is his name because he's delicious. <laughs> I got to say, like, as I'm watching this, but we we were about halfway through the episode on a particular scene, and my partner and I paused the show to go look at other photos of this actor to see if the cleft in his chin is always as deep as it was in this <laughs> this episode, because like honestly, like you could drive a semi truck through the cleft in this guy's chin. It is amazing. Like he looks like a cartoon. Yeah. But it's like that is this man's face. Like his chin is amazing. Some people just have a cleft chin that dramatic. I have seen it with my own eyes. But every time you see someone, you're like, "Whoa, okay, yeah." It's. Inc- I guess that happens. It's incredible. It's. It's also fascinating that uh, generally that actor for the last it seems like tennis years has often had a beard. Like he's just like, like he's very much it, into the beard. He might be a little sensitive about it okay it's it's an amazing he is gorgeous i'm i'm this is not can i i just need to be i need to be clear this is not a diss on the chin the chin is remarkable and i am remarking upon it (laughs) he's very much a beautiful man yeah at the gala event etc Franny and him dance a a tango that scandalizes aunt prudence Mm -hmm. and also generally seems to entertain the rest of the guests. And based on the outfit he's wearing, it seems like he was hired to dance these somewhat scandalous like Argentine tangos and whatnot yeah. at this event. There's also one little bit of uh, detail on him that I think we get at this event that his sister has passed away rather recently. Yeah. Franny says something like, I saw you and your sister dance in Paris. And he says... Oh, my sister died four months ago. And it, there's kind of like a, there's kind of a vibe to how he says it that like it implies that, that he's not in a good place about it. Yeah. Which we find out later that the reason he's in Australia, I think, is that he's tracking the people who supplied her with drugs. Like he wants revenge on whoever has, whoever it was that supplied her with cocaine. Yeah. I think it was cocaine. Yes. Uh, So... So he sort of has his own kind of like ulterior motive reasons for being in Australia. Franny and him have a dance that is like. Yeah, it's real good. It's almost too good for two people who've never danced before, but okay. (laughs) Unfortunately, the party is broken up when the police arrive and arrest Dot, the maid, for poisoning the they bring her in for questions okay they haul her in but it it like it throws off the whole party it's like this awkward thing everybody just kind of leaves it they 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 bring in dot because 
the man was poisoned with arsenic in the sugar in his morning tea or whatever. And his mm-hmm. wife also got a lighter dose of it, like a little bit of it. Yeah. She comments like, oh, thank God I never I didn't finish my own cup. But at the party, we also meet Madame Breda, who is the owner of the Turkish bathhouse. Very important plot point. Who invites Phryne to come to the to check out her bathhouse? Doesn't she like, oh, you should you, you could do with the soak. And Franny's like, mm, I don't. It's another uh, example of a great burn from Aunt Prudence, who Aunt P is a little bit like, this is the cream of Melbourne society. Oh, except for that person who's drunk and that person who's nouveau riche, very, very gauche. And then uh, Madame Breda, she takes the biscuit, practically runs the bordello. And then, you know, Madame Breda and, and Franny have a little chat that reveals they're a bit like-minded about such things. And then when um, Franny says... Oh, you should really come, Aunt P. You know, a, a Turkish bathhouse is a lovely thing or whatever. Aunt Prudence says, no, thank you. I shall remain all the cleaner for staying away. <laughs> so good. So I love her so much. Uh, huh. So anyway. good. So after after the cops show up and, and sort of like wreck the proceedings, as everyone's leaving, Frenchy Russian leaves and then Franny realizes that he has stolen her earrings. Mm-hmm. So she follows him. He goes to the bad side of town, Ooh. goes into a druggist's. I'm sorry, I just really wanted to... I was hoping you would have a reaction to the reveal of her pistol. Oh, yeah, that was so great. Yeah. So she decides she's going to go follow him because he just walks off into the darkness and she's about to go follow him. And uh, who who says don't go? Aunt Prudence is like, what, what are you doing, my- you can't just go out in the dark on your own. And Franny goes, that's oh, all right. I have a gun. <laughs> she pulls out a gun. Yeah, just a, 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 an adorable little gold-toned, you know, pearl-handled pistol, you know. But it's still, it's just like, she's like, I'm I'm fine. I got this. Yeah, I've gun. And Prudence is like, oh! Franny follows Frenchy Russian to the rough side of town where he is trying to track down a cocaine supplier he ends up getting roughed up by a couple of street toughs. Like they don't, he asks to go, to, he asks to talk to the boss and they won't take him to the boss. They rough him up. Yeah. Franny rescues him. They end up back at Franny's hotel room and a night of shenanigans ensues. Mm-hmm. Cut to the next morning. He's gone, but he's left her earrings, which was just like, it was a cute detail. Aww. Uh, there's a knock at the door. It's Dot. Yeah. Dot has been sacked. So the police let her go, but her employers have still uh, fired her. Lydia has fired her. And she had nowhere else to... Yeah. Dismissed without a reference. Yes. So... Harsh for someone in her position. So she comes to Phryne, and Dot is very scandalized by the state of Franny's room because there's like stockings on the on the chandelier and like a shoe on top of the wardrobe uh, like it's very obvious what Franny was doing last night and Franny's just like what mm-hmm. uh, may have this cute little <laughs> oh my dance instructor was just helping me perfect my some dancing term yeah my grand plié <laughs> but it's not a grand plié uh, she just takes it in stride She's yeah. like, oh no it's fine uh, but they have this nice little moment where Franny says, you should come work for me. Like, you could probably help me out. Uh, in fact, I think I have an idea of a job for you to do. Uh, 
well, you might have to lie a little bit, which it proves yeah. it's going. That's going to be difficult for this girl because she, it it transpires that she's very religious to the point where she thinks technology is evil, like like phones and electric lights and things. Yeah, she says my priest says it's unnatural to put electricity through wires. Eventually, it'll come in connection with the molten core of the Earth and blow up the whole world. <laughs> and Franny's just like, really? Okay. Well, if you work for me, you're going to have to answer the phone. And I may ask you to occasionally bend the Ten Commandments. And the best part is she she pauses and goes, how important is the phone? Yeah. Because <laughs> just moments ago, she was saying, I had to talk to the police and I was so scared. And she's like, well, what did you tell them? And she's like, well, I couldn't lie. I'm Catholic. Right. Then Phryne says, essentially, like, I might have you lie for me. Yeah. So Phryne has kind of, at this point, sort of put all the pieces together. Uh, she, but she, you know, she figured out that Alice, the girl who was in trouble, mm -hmm. had worked for the family. She, the the pink packet, uh, Phryne shows it to Mac, and they determine that it's cocaine by tasting it. Phryne tastes it twice, just to be sure. Mac's like, <laughs> I'm the doctor. So you know, they do the little licking their pinky and sticking it in the powder and then going, oh, definitely cocaine. I'm like, can you just tell? They do this in movies and TV shows all the time. You just go, oh, yeah, that's definitely drugs. What? The Phryne has kind of put together this whole plan where uh, she has figured out that the woman who runs the Turkish bathhouse is the one who is sending girls to the back alley abortionist doctor right who we we skipped the scene but they've established the cops know who he is because the two cabbies were able to identify him from like a book of mug shots right and it, this is one of those like these are the old-timey mug shots where the guys are wearing like amazing outfits and there's like a soft focus on them so good oh i love vintage mug shots yeah, just great amazing black and white portraits but i i really wanted to I, I've been holding my tongue because this scene actually happened way earlier and I, I didn't want to rush into it but or cut you off. But I just really, really want to know your reaction to the two cabbies, Bert and Seth. They are delightful characters. Like as kind of like a like I love that they are on the one hand, like kind of classic blue collar working toughy like, you know, yeah. guys and yet when this like very liberated modern woman shows up and is like bossing them around, they're like, but this seems fine. Well, when they when she first brings them to the police station, uh, she mentions, I just meant a rather civilized detective, Jack Robinson. They're like, yeah, we know him. And when they walk into the police station, he goes like, oh, it's the Red Raggers. He's yeah. he makes fun of them for being communists. And yeah. they're like, you'll get yours one day. <laughs> like uh, they call him a. a uh, oppressor of the widow and orphan or something like that like yeah they're not just random blue collar guys they're also communists and when they mention that he's a a back alley abortionist bert who's arguably the even more rough and tumble of the two says like that's ridiculous you know uh uh some other place in australia i think he mentions uh or some other place in the world uh legalized abortion in 1920 yeah like He's all pro pro women's rights, and I'm like, I love him so. Much. But that, I think that's why they're so, they are really fun characters because on the one hand they're like sort of these blue collar tough guys, but on the other hand they're actually like very progressive and liberal minded. But they're not coded that way in how they dress or how they talk. Like they have the broadest like kind of cheap side Australian accents going on. Yeah. In this, 
in this episode. So Phryne comes up with a plan because she is she's talked to Alice and found out that like Alice went had to had to wait at a certain place, got blindfolded, put in a van, taken to the abortionist clinic. Like she couldn't, you know, it's just like where is it? Nobody knows. So Phryne comes up with a plan. Clinic is a grandiose term for the <laughs> right. His hole in the wall the where he does abandoned his building. Deeds. So anyway. Yeah. Phryne manages to uh, convince Dot to go to the madam of the of the bathhouse and tell her that she is also with child from the same guy, which is a, a plausible story based on where she also worked because she worked at the same house as Alice. The best part about it is that Dot barely has to lie. Like she just says, do you remember me? And Madame Breda puts it all together. She's like, uh, not you too, John Andrews. And Dot just, she doesn't even nod. She just stares at her. And Madame Breda's like, yeah, 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 I got it. So then uh, uh, Madame Breda's like, all right, I'll set this all up. Uh, and sends her, sends her away and tells her to like, be at this certain place the next day. Yeah. Uh, at some point in all of this, there's one scene, I don't remember when it happened, but uh, Phryne meets Lydia at the Turkish bath and they have tea there and Phryne is, pours the tea and offers Lydia uh, sugar and Lydia says, no, I always drink it black, which is an important detail. <laughs> so Dot uh, is waiting on a street corner and gets picked up by the same guy who hustled uh, Alice into the cab. And he puts her in the back of a van, like blindfolds or whatever, puts her in the back of a van that she can't see out of. And they drive off. Phryne and the cabbies follow them in the cab. There's this whole sort of like chase scene following them. Um, You know, the cab doesn't quite start on time and everything. And they follow them to this like abandoned warehouse place where uh, Dot is like the doctor's like trying to operate on Dot and Dot's like no I'm not actually like I don't need you and he's like it's all right you'll be fine you know he's like he's like very pushy and gross about it (laughs) you've got the collie wobbles yeah he's like don't be nervous it'll be fine or whatever and they get there just in time to save Dot is that like they just get the guy and and his accomplice yeah Part of it is that, that she and Sess and Bert show up and they, you know. Punches. She's like, I believe I believe you have something to say to him, Seth. Because Sess has been like holding her hand as she recuperates. And like, it's they've clearly developed like a kind of a tender affection. It's very sweet. There's a really cute part when they first bring her to the hospital. When they first uh, speak to Phryne. And she's like, oh, so you were the ones who, who brought her in? And Sess is all like, yeah, is she going to be okay? And Bert's like, ugh. You 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 pick up every stray animal or like wounded bird and now fallen bloody women. It's adorable. So good. Anyway, just them being great. But so then, uh... Uh, yeah. The, an important part uh, is that not only do they get the guy, when Madame Breda sent Dot to go meet this guy Butcher George is his like crime name. Uh, she says, give this. Oh, yeah. His payment was another little box of those pink packages. Yes. Which connects. That was the detail that I had. I couldn't remember how that, that connected. So then. Yeah. So Butcher George goes. Butcher George. Jesus, that yeah. name. So um, so the last kind of little bit of this is Friday is trying to figure out who, where the drugs are coming from. Who's bringing the drugs in. Yes. And she knows it has something to do with the bathhouse. So she goes there again and Sasha has gone in and tr- 
and demanded to speak to the boss, the the king or what, the kingpin. The king of snow. The king of snow. <laughs> so good. Great crime name. Great crime name. It's my crime name. No one will know. I want to see the king of snow. Which, when a Russian asks to see the King of Snow, you better take that shit seriously. I'm just saying. So <laughs> he's a ballet dancer, though. I don't know. It's true, but I mean, <laughs> ballet dancing is like it's basically being a. I I. So anyway, uh, so he says, "I want to see the King of Snow," and the the street toughs are like, "All right, we'll take you," and so they take him into a back room, and the uh, they take him like up somewhere in the in the Turkish bathhouse, and then Phryne gets a leg up from uh not Cess, the other cat from Bert. Bert. She says, Give me a leg up and she climbs like up the fire escape and like jumps across the thing and like gets in. It's Yeah, he's clearly just like really entertained. She's like he's like, You need any other help? And she's like, uh you might go for the police. This might get interesting. And it's like, I thought it already was. <laughs> yeah. So good. Honestly, they have an interaction there that is one of my favorite moments in the entire show, which the two of them are watching Sasha talking to the thugs, right? Right. And she's like, Bert says, you sure about this Russian guy? And she goes, I don't really know that much about him. uh, French-Russian extraction. We've only met socially. And then Bert says, well, I know about those two other guys pointing to the tufts. He goes, bastard extraction. We've only met up a dark alley. <laughs> it's just so oh, good. Mwah, so good. Franny manages to get in and she's kind of snooping around and then she makes her way to the room where they are torturing Sasha and she sort of tries to like intervene, but they overpower her and tie her up. And then the King of Snow arrives and it's Lydia. Yeah. So. You know, Friday's it's a, there's a little bit of a like bomb bomb bomb, and this is why I was I I said that I thought the casting of uh, Miranda Otto was so great because I've I'm used to her playing these kind of heroic, slightly tragic figures. Yeah, and so like I was very on board with her as like the grieving widow, and did not. It's very rare for me in one of these mystery shows that I don't see the. I don't see it coming, like, the person who's like, oh, you know, like, it was me all along. I was really curious if you would see it coming or not, because I, I didn't when I first watched yeah. it. Yeah, and I, I, I think part of that is just, like, Miranda Otto is just this, like, such a, like, a trustworthy figure for me. Like, I mean, I also saw Lord of the Rings movies at a very for- formative age, so that might have also contributed. Mm. But she doesn't, it's not one of those examples where they played, the, they acted it too well. No. Because there's definitely plenty of those things where you, if you went back and watched it, you'd be like, no, this person's just playing, they're, they're, they're like, it's not believable for the character to be that good an actor, you know? No, no, exactly. It's, 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 yeah. it's just an example of, I think, the, the casting combined with I mean, honestly, I, I keep talking about the casting and how great she is, but I think part of it is that just generally sort of the criminal of the week type character is not yeah. someone of this stature. You generally don't get like it, you know, an actress of this stature in a role like this. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that, that gave it a lot of credence and made it a lot more fun is that I was like, oh, they're going to end up being friends. Like that was that was my initial 
take on this character. Yeah. Well, they had the benefit of it being the first episode because yeah. a lot of times in procedurals, you do know who did it because you're like, well, that actor's too big for them to just be a random side character. They have to be the villain. But since this is the first episode, you don't know who's the villain and who's being set up as like a buddy for later. You know? Precisely. So she orders the thugs to, I guess, just lock them in the sauna. <laughs> it's, I, I guess that's how you kill people. I mean, Australia is already yeah. basically a sauna, so I don't know why a sauna <laughs> is torture. Um, <laughs> well, they they lock them in and uh, uh, a steam room and turn up the heat. Yeah, yeah, and they turn up the heat like higher than normal. So they're stuck in there, and uh, meanwhile, we get a nice little bit of business that uh, Bert and Sess go to the cops, and the cops don't don't want to help them. They don't really believe them. They're like, "Franny's in trouble," and the cops are like, "Ah, you, you know, you Reds and your redness, uh, grumble, grumble." Meanwhile, Dot has stayed at Franny's room and Franny had told her, like, if I'm not back by X time, call the police and tell them I'm in trouble. We kind of get this nice thing, this sort of buildup of like Dot staring at the phone who Franny. Get, I, it's just a like a wonderful little detail. Franny gives Dot a kiss on the forehead uh, before before she leaves and then she just never wipes it off the whole evening that she's sitting there alone she just, she's just like has this yeah she's sitting there in her pajamas with her blonde hair all down and wrapped in a blanket with a cup of cocoa and then a bright red lip print on her forehead it's the best meanwhile Franny and uh sasha are are cooking to death in the steam room and then Franny like <laughs> sasha is trying to break the glass window by banging his head into it it's delightful <laughs> never noticed that until this viewing but yeah i thought he was slamming his shoulder into it but on this particular viewing i was like it really looks like he's smacking his head against it what were they thinking friday figures out that uh she can sort of reach in and close off some valve so at least she can buy them some time meanwhile just in the nick of time dot picks up the phone and calls the police and says friday's in trouble friday's in trouble so the cabbies bring the cops to the Turkish bath, they bust in and find Franny and a naked, passed out Sasha laying there. Like he's completely yeah. naked because Franny doesn't use her towel to reach in and touch the hot valve. She takes Sasha's, leaving him naked. So she's just sure. It's like a, well, he's pretty much passed yeah, out at this, this point. He's useless. She's so great. She's trying to get up. She's got. She's found a hairpin and she's trying to you know Pick the lock. Jimmy the lock. Yeah. While he's like, oh, I can't. Yeah. I'm a ballet dancer. So they, the the cops get them out of there and uh, everybody is safe and they arrest Lydia. We don't actually see Lydia get arrested. It's just assumed that there's enough evidence and uh, Franny says, well, that's why we were locked in. We didn't lock ourselves in, you know. Then we get the parlor scene. But instead of it being with all the principals there, it's just Franny telling Mac yeah. what what she did later. <laughs> Franny's like dehydrated and probably has a terrible headache from almost steaming to death. Yeah. And Mac just saunters in in her amazingly cut suit because, of course, she wears slacks and yeah. amazing coats mm. and stuff. Uh, she just saunters in, flops down on the bed and goes, all right, tell me how clever you are. <laughs> Explain how you figured it out. And so it's just, you know, it's everything about how the, the arsenic in the tea and how Lydia took just enough arsenic so that she could, you know, 
have an alibi, even though she never takes sugar in her tea, which Franny noticed from the thing. Yeah. Uh, when they had tea in the bathhouse, uh, how she put together that Lydia and Alice had both worked for them, and uh, Lydia ha- had written uh, Alice a very nice letter of recommendation, but not a good letter of recommendation for Dot. Yeah. So it's just like sort of like she put she put all the pieces together and figured out that Lydia was in fact the king of yeah. snow and that Lydia had never there was some stuff about Lydia had never really liked her husband and had finally decided to get him yeah. out of the way or something like yeah. that. Yeah, everyone knew Franny establishes everyone knew he was a cad. Yeah. But earlier in the episode all Lydia says is that poor darling man I loved my husband his death left me bereft or whatever. Yeah. Of course, as soon as she turns and we learn she's the king of snow, she's all, ugh, he was useless. He was a terrible businessman. I saved us. Yeah. So then we get the last scene where Phryne is having like a bit of a party with all the sort of the principals, like the gang. I guess like this is kind of like the gang is all together. So we've got Mac and Cess and Dot and uh, uh, Bert. And they're kind of having this little party. And then Inspector Jack and Constable Babyface show up. And uh, and they're like, uh, yes, we managed to arrest the King of Snow. Uh, and also, just so you're aware, the Turkish bathhouse exploded. <laughs> In a five-alarm fire, but there at least there were no casualties. And Friday's like, oh, oops. <laughs> Oh, dear that that happened. Oh, oh my. Somebody must have closed uh, a valve. <laughs> not, not me, but, you know, someone. That... That's <laughs> so good. And then sort of the the button reveal on all of this is... is uh, she... Phryne is like... She says, we're having a little party to celebrate my na- new business. That's right. I am starting a detective agency. <laughs> and both the cops are like... What? Like spit takes. <laughs> Credits. <laughs> so good yeah that is essentially the recap there's one other scene that takes place during the episode that doesn't uh involve the actual mystery and i'm just going to mention it really briefly here because it's going to have some bearing on my predictions thoughts about the future Friny takes some time out during this whole mystery to go visit a man who is in prison and they have sort of like the classic meeting in the prison he's in chains blah 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 and she's trying to get him to confess to killing her sister. Yes. He says, I didn't do it. But he's also kind of like got this like, you know, very in control sort of Hannibal Lecter vibe. Yeah. And it also transpires that he's getting out of prison soon. And Franny has returned to Australia to like keep an eye on him and keep him from killing again. Well, explicitly to try to keep him in prison. It's established right in one of the first scenes when Mac is like, so what are you going to do now that you're back in Australia? And she's like, oh, I could do anything. You know, learn to dance, perfect my Abyssinian. And Max, like, we both know why you're here. Bit of uh, sort of setting up stuff for what I assume will be sort of the overarching thing of the series. But it doesn't really have any bearing on the main mystery. So that is our recap. Let's move on to where did the money go? I got to say, like, we talked about a little bit of this with sort of the sets and like a lot of there's a there's a lot of location shooting in this but there's also a lot of uh, a technology what year did this come out this first season within the last six years because there's also a lot of one of my favorite uh digital technologies that 
has really taken off more in television than film is something called set extensions. Yes. Where you film like an old timey building, but then you sort of add like in the distance more old timey buildings or you only build a set up to as high as the actors are and then fill in above that. Yes. It's something where like, yeah, if you're looking at like an upper story window of a, a faraway building, it looks a little off. But like if you're but just watching you're the, focusing character, on the characters. Yeah. Yeah, you mostly you're seeing something real. The most aggressive one in this episode is the Turkish bathhouse. The water isn't even real. I thought I was really amazed that. Yeah. <laughs> it's if you look at the water lapping against the side of the pool when she and Lydia are sitting and drinking tea at the yeah. at the bathhouse, it's really obviously CGI. But well done because if yeah. you're not if you're just watching the two women who are talking and not paying attention, if you haven't watched the pilot like six times, like I have. Uh, you know, it's probably not noticeable. I would say actually, though, effects and, and sort of some of the sets and things aside and the location shooting, I think the most expensive thing in this would have to be the costumes. Yeah. There's a lot of like intensely detailed, tailored, period appropriate <sighs> costuming in yeah. this. And like especially um, the flapper dress that she wears has a lot of uh, beading. What do you call or- it? beating and things and that stuff is not like there there is no way to get that look without an intense amount of like handicraft and yeah like human hours put into it hard to hard to fake it and i I would probably put my money on that being where they're spending money on this um especially because Friny also wears like 40 million outfits Ah. It's so fabulous. That is one of the great things about this show. Everyone always looks amazing. The clothes are fantastic. Like, Phryne wears 10 outfits an episode on average. It is wonderful. Delightful. And that's the kind of thing, too, where this is one of those type of shows that I'm really all about these days, where it's, like, very tightly character-focused, even though sort of there is set dressing of a 1920s, madcap world it's still very character focused and one of the ways that you can really focus on characters in some of the bigger maybe slightly dodgier uh special effects you know set extensions and things Mm -hmm. is by giving them these fantastic costumes like the when she arrives at the very beginning off the ocean liner like the cgi on the ocean liner is a little dodgy but you don't i don't care because i'm like look at that travel outfit my god Ugh. Yeah. I'm so I so wish people still dressed like that when they traveled. Like fuck your sweatpants. <laughs> get your flapper get your flapper sailor dress on. Yeah. She's wearing fellas. She that her wearing that cute little like sailor suit themed outfit. Because it's like it's still a, a very elegant adult outfit, but it's clearly like themed on a sailor suit. Yeah. That's something you will see in the show a lot. She dresses to the occasion. Oh my God. Really frequently. She loves it. She loves it. Speaking of love, Sarah. <laughs> Speaking of love. It's time for Listenships. Steamer ships. Ocean liners. We proceeded a pace by steamer to Melbourne, Australia. I obviously can't really participate in the clips and shifts because I've seen the whole show, but I'm I'm interested to hear uh, what your predictions will be and uh, and all of that. I mean, this is this is not a show about totally shocking you at every turn, right? You know, with like huge sneaky world building stuff or anything. You know, what's interesting is uh, 
I compared this to James Bond at the at the top of the podcast, and I I find that now that we've sort of talked through it, another sort of uh, touchstone thing that I would compare it to would be the BBC Sherlock, sort of how I felt about the first, just the first episode, the pilot of that, and sort of the promise of what that could have been. Yeah. Very quickly. I feel like BBC Sherlock descended into sort of this big continuity obsessed world building exercise that kept adding more layers and then trying to backfill new characters and all that kind of stuff. I don't see this going that way. I do see this kind of being much more sort of individual episodes, individual mysteries with maybe some light sprinkles of overarching continuity. But I, I just, I feel like the world that they're establishing is one where we kind of, yeah, the status quo probably builds and shifts over time, but it's not one of, you know, I'm not looking at this thinking there's going to be some big giant, like, consp- you know, it's it, it's not like in season three of Miss Fisher's murder mysteries, the prime minister has been kidnapped. Franny, we need you to team up with your cousin Basil and his flying automobile to, you know, like it's just like. <laughs> I don't think the show's going to go there. Strangely, please let me know when you finish your fanfic. I would love to read it. <laughs> Are you a sassy enough flapper to rescue the prime minister? Franny Fisher is. And 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 sort of like like kind of dovetailing that into you know, I guess that's kind of my thinking on Cliffs is like I could see these characters growing and this world growing. And the only really big event that is being teased or or set up in any way is this guy who is gonna possibly be getting out of prison i feel like he's the he's the big mystery that maybe at the end of season one yeah gets addressed like she has she cracks that case somehow it, i don't think it even it barely counts as a spoiler to say you're you're more or less correct in that uh in that guess <laughs> in terms of ships i'm less interested in romantic entanglements than i am in I, I guess friend shipping, which is uh, mm-hmm. a term you recently coined when we were talking about another show. That the idea that well, I didn't oh, coin it. Well, but uh, you inter- other people have said it. <laughs> well, you recently introduced me to the joys of it. You're welcome. This idea that I just I want to see deepening relationships for these characters. I don't really have any ships here other than wanting to see the characters kind of team up and get some stuff done. I I hope there's more Dot. I want to see her grow and change as a character. I think she's a great foil for Phryne because Phryne is this very liberated, very modern character. And Dot is this kind of, you know, conservative, sort of regressive character, yet also possessed of her own wildness too, like her own potential for... yeah. Rule breaking. She's very innocent, but she when they say we need you to help and this might be dangerous, she does say, Well, if it hadn't been for Alice, it might have been me yeah. in that hospital. So I owe it to Alice to try and solve this mystery. And it's like she shows that strength there. She doesn't go, Oh no, I can't, I can't do a lie. Yeah. You know. It's she's got there's more to dot than meets the eye. I guess that you know, kind of talking about friendships and, and- like the characters I want to see grow, like this is a great, like sort of the core. I just kind of imagine it being Franny and Mac and Dot sort of solving these mysteries and having this like kick-ass girl team doing stuff uh, in the sweet outfit old timey days of the 1920s. 
Yeah. I think what I've just said in the Cliffs and Ships portion pretty much covers my feelings about what will this show be as well. It's sort of, you know, yeah. individual mysteries every week with resolving the big dude in jail who murdered my sister uh, at the end of the season. It is unsurprisingly a, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm constantly torn <laughs> during this episode between telling you that when you're right about something or and I, I don't want to tell you too much but I feel like I have to say at least a little bit that yeah it's it's a procedural in the sense of there's a mystery and they solve it every episode and then there's also a little bit of extra building other parts of the plot as they go it's it's not completely contained each episode you know my one last thing on all this is that I would vote Inspector Babyface most likely to turn evil in a later season and do a bad thing <laughs> Ooh, interesting. Interesting take, strangely. I guess you'll have to watch the rest of the show to find out. Which brings us perfectly to... Oh, I wanted to ask one last thing. I'm sorry. That did bring us perfectly. <laughs> but I guess just do... You don't ship uh, Jack and Franny at all? You're not, you're not into it? <laughs> not from this episode. Okay. All right. Fair. It, it, it seemed like a very professional... Like their interactions were very professional. She was flirtatious in like a very fun way, but he he just didn't seem to really quite know what to make of her. Yeah, that's fair. Although, I mean, although now that you have asked me that very leading question, that could be a lot of fun. Well, it's not a spoiler to say that many people who watch the show do ship it. That's not a spoiler. Uh huh. And I'm I also want to say out loud for the people listening to the podcast who have already watched the show that. When I first watched the first episode, even though I was like, I'm pretty sure she and this inspector guy, there's going to be something there. Uh, I was like, is it weird if I kind of ship Franny and Bert? They, they, Franny and Bert have the most like playful chemistry uh, of Franny and any of the, what I assume are going to be the ongoing leads in this pilot. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a, this is, yeah, I'll, I'll get into that later. Sorry. <clears throat> That brings us to our final, final verdict for you. Strangely, did this pilot do the job of a pilot and make you want to watch more? Well, Sarah, it is an this is an excellent pilot. Yes, it teases things for the future. It gives me a very satisfying mystery that wraps up. It introduces six or seven great characters that I want to see more of. The relationships are varied. The types of relationships among all the leads that get to interact with each other, have a wide spectrum of stories that could grow from them. And uh, they're just delightful characters. The costuming is fantastic. And the show is just like breezy fun. And I, I don't mean that in a demeaning way. I just mean like no. it honestly has the vibe of one of those big Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals. Where it's just kind of like, I have sailed into town and I will make my way. But like, yeah. in sort of like the some of the cinematography and everything like that, it's like this kind of very like bright, almost pulp version of the 1920s in Melbourne, Australia. It's so much fun. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, right after we are done recording this, I have plans to go watch the next episode. <laughs> so there you go. I hope so. I sure hope so. I'm so <sighs> glad that the two of you are really on board with the show. And I cannot wait to hear what you think of the rest of oh. 
of it as 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 you go because i love this show there will be ketchup episodes for this as well oh yeah i guarantee it. oh absolutely there must there simply must well i mean because one of the reasons i wanted us to do this show is that i love the show overall but i love this pilot i look at it as like almost my gold standard for pilots because they so brilliantly set up what they're intending to do with the show mm-hmm. while, yeah, having a whole mystery that, satis- that wraps up satisfactorily at the end and introducing you to all but, spoiler alert, one of the major characters. They do add another character, but like, damn, there's like six or seven major characters who are introduced in this pilot. And I don't know if it sounds like you would agree they do it really effortlessly. Nobody feels like shoehorned in. Everyone was part of that first plot, but it's like yeah. they get the gang together, you know? At the very end, there's everybody in a room. And and multiple characters, like smaller side characters, kind of have like beginning, middles, and ends arcs. Like Dot yeah. finally overcomes her fear of the telephone in a critical moment to save her friend. Yeah. She she's sort of set up with a thing that she needs to get past. The cabbies and the police don't have the most trusting relationship, but by the end they're working together yeah. to save Franny from the hot box. <laughs> like it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's great. I can also I have also loved many shows like Firefly is a great example where more or less the whole team is already together. They add a couple of new characters, but most everybody already knows each other. And we have to wait several episodes before we get some flashbacks as to how they all met. Yeah. But for this, we need no flashbacks, basically. Everybody uh, everybody kind of meets. I mean, Seth and Bert already know each other and Mac and Franny already know each other. Um, but yeah, we you get the team together in a way that actually works for the plot and I don't know. I just, I love getting to see that origin story of the team, you know? Yeah. And she doesn't start like, hello, I'm a high society lady detective. Like, why? She, we find her and she, we see her becoming a lady detective. And that's what's delightful. I think that's as good a place as any to end this. Yeah, so. I agree. I cannot wait to hear what you think about the rest of season one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pilot House. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pilot House Pod. Visit our website at pilothousepodcast.com or email us at pilothousepodcast at gmail.com to suggest future shows. Our podcast is entirely listener-supported, so thanks to this week's special guest star, Chris, for supporting us on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash pilothouse to find out how you can become a series regular. Pilot House is a Herringbone Society production. Yeah, tune in later for Sarah and Strangely talk about Miss Fisher season one in Miss Fisher catch-up episode of the pilot house. I ran out of old-timey things to say. I'm sorry. And on that note, bye! Bye! Bye!